0: Grace and mercy and peace be to you from God our Father and our Lord and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Follow me, words that, with which we ended last week, words that are themselves a beginning, words that, that create this, this gap for these fishermen in Galilee between their past and their future. Their past leads to a history of a lifetime of fishing, paying taxes and caring for their families. And these words, follow me, come and break that future and open up a new future, a future of travel, of listening, of suffering, of peacemaking, of blessing, a future that is a new identity, a future that is different qualitatively from anything that they could have possibly had before. Because when Jesus said these words, follow me, he was confiscating them and their lives for himself. This is the word by Martin Franzman. He said, when Jesus said, follow me, he was confiscating man for himself. Indeed, the whole of the gospel of Matthew is simply the record of the process of progressive messianic confiscation. And those words, follow me, have come to each of you in your life at various points or another, and you've been addressed by a Lord who has confiscated your life and put before you a different future, put before you the possibility of following him, a summons to follow him. And he puts before you in this passage, an identity, salt, light, a city on a hill. You are the salt of the earth, he says in verse 13. But if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. This call of Jesus does something. And I want to sum up today's whole message in this one sentence, and we're going to come back and we're going to take it apart piece by piece. Jesus' call creates a community of blessing that both attracts and creates animosity in the world that it serves. Jesus' call creates a community of blessing that both attracts and creates animosity in the world it serves. So let's begin with the community. None of these words are addressed to individuals. Y'all are salt grammatically, y'all are light, but even it's not just the plural you in the Greek, it's, well, just ask about the image of salt. How much effect does one grain of salt have? It's invisible, it makes no difference. Can you be a city by yourself? No, cities are necessarily plural. And I'm wandering into fields that are too deep for me, but. How bright is one photon of light? Dave? Is that even an intelligible sentence? No. Okay, I didn't think so. I didn't think so. So I apologize for venturing into the realm of physics. Jesus speaks here to a community, a community of disciples, men who have been summoned from their lives to follow him, pulled out from the crowd, for the crowd. And he now speaks to this community, now, a community, we have to recognize, is a different thing. The word gets thrown around a lot, but the community is, is, is not the same thing, say, as a club. There's a chess club, a rotary club. There's all sorts of, of gatherings of people. And, and a club is, is, is a little different, right? If, if chess club is not there to help walk you through the birth of your child. Chess club is not there really to celebrate your birthday. Maybe they will, but really they're there to play chess. But a community shares everything. A community shares life together. Now, something like 80% of Christians in America think, believe this, that you can be a Christian without being part of a church. 80% of Christians. Jesus does not agree. <laughs> Jesus sees no individual Christians. He sees a church, a community that he has called together. Jesus sees here a body that he only describes in corporate terms. And, that same, and he does it, he's, he's created it by his call, calling them out into this community. Now, what is it that's created this community? It's two things. First, all of us share this basic part of our hearts. Me first. We're really good at this. This comes a basic setting. Even we little babies come out ready to say it. Me first. I, my needs, my rights, my happiness. That's what's most important. That's how this show should run. And to be called out from Jesus, to be be called to follow him, is to say, well, him first. It's to have your whole being pulled from its normal orientation around yourself. To be oriented around him. Think for a second of our solar system. I think I can speak about this part. Our solar system is not a bunch of planets revolving around themselves. And if each planet were to be its own source, its own center, it would not be a solar system. It would be a colliding bit of chaos. But if they have one center, a sun, around which they all spin in their own times and places. And to be called into this community is to be called into orbit around a different sun. Not not yourself, not your rights, not your desires, but Jesus. That is what creates this community. He is the one who creates this community. And that means that, that being part of his community is a whole life endeavor. It's not just showing up on Sunday. It's not just a, a consumer kind of Christianity. But it's, it takes time and energy. Walking together as this body. Walking together as a community. And this is why, as, as we've crafted our identity, our, our, our plan for how we're following Jesus as Emmaus, we've put together this, this discipleship process for our whole lives. We worship We gather for life groups. We serve as life groups. And we gather to tell the story, this whole life endeavor, so that we can connect Sunday and Monday and Tuesday and morning and evening. Because this identity as a community doesn't just happen. It takes work. So it's a community. All right, fine. We're a community. But what what is the nature of this community? We said Jesus' call creates a community of blessing that both attracts and creates animosity in the world it serves. Well, how does it do this both attracting and creating animosity? Well, this just comes right out of this image of salt and light. Let's think, Let's take salt. What does salt do? Well, salt does a variety of things, right? It can be used to purify, to keep wounds from getting infected. It can be used to uh, make food a little more tasty. Um, and the, it's, we're not really clear exactly what Jesus had in mind in terms of its precise function. It was used to purify sacrifices. But what is essential to salt is that it is different from the thing in which it's put. It is distinct. It is put on meat or it is put in ground or it is put in whatever it's put in. And its presence as a distinct entity makes a beneficial difference. It is both distinct from its environment and it is useful to its environment. It is both distinct and it is useful. It has a purifying cleansing effect. But this effect is necessarily one of conflict. It kills bacteria. It stifles and, and, and inhibits the growth of foreign substances. So to be salt for the earth, to be salt of the earth, is to be a different substance on the earth. That's what this community is, a weird foreign substance that is here blessing the earth, blessing the world, purifying it, being different. And this means that its, it's to presence is both effective and salutary, but also challenging and confronting. It's the same with light. Light is, the benefits of light are obvious, especially if we imagine a day without electricity. And you imagine Jesus' image of a city on a hill is in a day where people don't have flashlights, where people don't have keeping a lantern lit on a journey is a very difficult thing to do. But you could tell where a city was because if it was set up on a little bit of a rise, you would know it because you'd see its lights. And light It's why in the Bible, throughout the Bible, light becomes a metaphor for truthfulness, for truth. Jesus calls himself the way, the truth, and the life, and he he talks about himself as light early in the Gospel of John. So Jesus here says, you are the light. You are the light that shows the truth, that speaks the truth. And this is both, again, a good thing and a bad thing for the world in which we shine. It means we tell the, truth, the world the truth that there actually is hope for it. There actually is hope in the face of death. There is hope in the face of failure and betrayal and sin. There is hope for a world that is driven mad by its me first. But it also means we shine the light on the fact that it is in fact run by me first. <laughs> that that is in fact the truth of all of our hearts. And this means that it's going to be a message the world does not always want to hear. Jesus says at the end of... At the passage, or at the end of his blessings, blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you. Not if, it's not a condition, it's not a possibility, it's a fact. When others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad because you are light. That's what light does. So faith in the gospel, orbit around Jesus, creates a community that is aware and bound together by two things an awareness of our own me first, awareness of our own sin, awareness of this is the way the world works because it's the way our heart works and we're honest about it, and an awareness of where the answer to that problem is in Jesus and his follow me. It means we're freed from having to fight for for, for ourselves, from having to fight for our rights and fight for our way first, to cling to our ways, Because we don't live around ourselves anymore. We've been, well, Paul will say, crucified with Christ. It means we can live by repentance. Repentance, and not like a a fake ceremonial repentance where we just kind of try to feel bad about ourselves every now and again. But a real repentance that says, no, my me first has hurt things. It hurts people. It's hurt the people around me, and I hate that. Jesus, save me from myself. Save the people I love from me. Protect them from me. Heal what I have broken. Because as salt and light, we know that we have indeed broken stuff. Now, there's the temptation that when we face this identity, if we're going to be a challenge and we're going to create animosity in the world around us, or if we're going to be appealing and attractive, if we're going to be a place people can find grace and yet also find the truth, well, the temptation is always to err on one side or the other. To say, well, we're just going to worry about being appealing. That's all that matters. We don't want to talk about the part that people don't like to hear. We're going to put that stuff aside. We're just going to focus on what people want to hear and what what is comforting and what is welcoming. We're going to focus on what people need or what people want. And we can just kind of save that other stuff for never. The other temptation is to say, well, we're a persecuted group and that's how we're going to be. So it doesn't matter if people think that we're jerks. It doesn't matter if people look down on us because we're faithful, we're true, we're on the hill. We're, We're where we're supposed to be and let the world be damned. Uh, Equally, attitudes that deny the dual truth that Jesus puts before us, that our calling as salt and light is an identity given by Jesus in which we speak the truth in love, and we live the gospel of him who was crucified by and for his enemies. And this call that comes to us, you are salt and light, you are distinct and you are useful, you are a blessing and you are a challenge to the world around you, that's who we are. Jesus doesn't say, you can become salt. You can become light. It's just indicative. You are salt. You are light. So let your light shine. Well, oh, gosh, that's hard. That's hard. That's a big calling. How do we navigate this tension between being too, too appealing and too accommodating and being off-putting and clickish, or being like a sect? How do we navigate that? How do we, how do we live in this call? Well, we have to go backwards. Because Jesus' call creates a community of blessing. A community of blessing. And we don't get to be salt and light until we've first gone through the blessing. So if we go back to the beginning of this sermon, we find something simple. Blessed are the spiritually poor, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Who are the spiritually poor? All of us all of us. To be part of this community, to hear Jesus follow me, is to say, I have nothing to pay him. I am spiritually impoverished. I hurt everyone around me. I hurt myself. I am spiritually impoverished, and yet Jesus calls me blessed. Jesus calls you blessed precisely because you have nothing of your own. And Jesus' call first comes as blessing. The follow me first comes as blessing to those who have nothing to pay for it. And those who, because they have nothing, mourn for themselves. Who say, I have no hope, I cannot fix myself. This is not a general mourning. This is a mourning produced by our spiritual poverty. When we say, we know we have nothing. We know we're poor in spirit. We know we lament who we are. But Jesus calls us blessed. Blessed. And so in the face of all we are and in the face of our grief, we hold on to Jesus' blessing and say, no, I am blessed. I am going to be comforted because Jesus has called me blessed and he is Lord. Blessed are the meek, he says, for they shall inherit the earth. This one's easy to misunderstand. Meekness is seen as kind of like a virtue, like people who are humble or kind of passive. But, but meek has a, a passive sense to it, being meeked. Blessed are those who have been meeked or humiliated, maybe in better English, who have been made humble, who have been made humble not by their own striving, but being made humble by the recognition of their own spiritual poverty, who've been made humble by their own mourning and failing to find in themselves the answer to their problems, who are gonna find instead the answer in Jesus' blessing, because that's where the answer is, in Jesus' blessing. And listen, look at what he promises them. He doesn't promise them just merely some heavenly afterlife. He promises them the whole creation, See, we live in a world which is driven by me. First, it says, no, the world belongs to those who assert their rights, to those who assert their authority and their claim and their power. And Jesus says, those who understand their powerlessness, yet find themselves in my blessing, are heirs of everything, are heirs of the heavens and the earth. They will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for the day when they don't hurt the people they love. (laughs) Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for the day when they do what they wish they did. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for the day when they don't have to feel guilt anymore because they know the truth about themselves. They will be satisfied. You will be satisfied because Jesus has called you blessed. Jesus has called you blessed. See, there's a logic to Jesus' blessing it meets those who have nothing and it gives them salvation. Blessing in every instance is a synonym for saved. Synonym for my grace given to you. You are right with God. So he says, blessed are merciful for they shall receive mercy. Those who can show mercy because they know they've received mercy from Jesus. To be a disciple of Jesus is to be freed from the me first and the demand that keeps you from showing mercy. Because the call of Jesus has already shown you Mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. This is the the ones, well, who who, who can be pure in heart? Who who here thinks that they're pure in heart? Well, guess what? If you have faith in Jesus, you do. You do have a pure heart. Not in your experience. Not in your possession. Your pure heart is hidden with Christ in God, promised to you as your inheritance in these basic words, You are blessed. You have a pure heart because Jesus has given you His own heart. His own heart. And you will see God because Jesus will give you eyes to see Him on that day when He comes to make all things new. And because you've been freed from the me first, you've been freed from your guilt, you've been freed from your heart that enslaves you, you can be a peacemaker that Jesus calls blessed because you're a child of God. You are able to make peace and able to meet hatred with love, cursing with blessing, anger with patience. And you can entrust those who hurt you to the judgment of God because he's the guy in charge and you live under his blessing. And when you find yourself spiritually poor, but blessed, humiliated, but blessed, mourning, but blessed, hungry, but blessed, then you've been prepared To be persecuted and blessed. To rejoice when you're persecuted. I mean, that's what Jesus says. Rejoice and be glad. Because that's what happens to his community. Because there's a reward kept up in the heavens, waiting to come back for you. Jesus himself, the author of your blessing, the giver of your blessing. Because his call, follow me, its first meaning is blessed. You are blessed, you are salt, and you are light. That's his call. Jesus' call creates a community of blessing. And this community of blessing attracts the world with its grace and its love. But it creates animosity because it insists on living by Jesus as its Lord. For his call creates a community of blessing that both attracts and creates animosity in the world it serves. So we live from this blessing as Emmaus Church. We live from this blessing, this identity that Jesus' call has given us. And we are salt and we are light because Jesus has blessed us so. He has made us so. And we gather and we scatter and we sing and we praise. We receive his gifts. We fellowship with his body. We serve his community. And we tell his story as his community of blessing. For that is what he's called us. And that is who you are. Amen.